If you're a smoker or dipper looking to make a change, you really only need one reason to do it. But with Zen Nicotine Pouches, you can find many. Zen is America's number one nicotine pouch. It's made with only six simple ingredients. Plus, Zen is the only nicotine pouch with a 10-day hassle-free trial. There are lots of options when it comes to nicotine satisfaction, but there's only one Zen. Find your Zen online or in a store near you at zen.com slash find. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. My name is Michael Shore. I was a writer for the first 4.2 seasons and a producer on The Office. Hi, everybody. Welcome to a new day. And a new day brings a new episode of The Office Deep Dive with me, your host, Brian Baumgartner. Uh, now, I'm thrilled to tell you that today I am bringing back the incredible Mike Schur for part two of our conversation. This is going to be a good one. Uh, to remind you, Mike was one of our original writers and producers on The Office. He went on to co-create Parks and Rec with Greg Daniels, as well as some other huge TV shows of our time, like Brooklyn Nine-Nine, The Good Place, just to name a few. Now, as I mentioned in the last episode... Uh, which you should definitely check out if you haven't already. Mike, as a writer, as a producer, as an artist, he's had some insane achievements. And we're going to get into some of those. But more importantly, you're going to get to hear about the one thing that he always hated. That he described as a, quote, waking nightmare. That's right. His role as Moe's Schrute. Now, I was... Oh, you have no idea how happy I was to find out that my suspicions were correct, that Mike had to play Moe's as kind of a cruel joke in the writer's room, a writer's room joke, because they found it funny to make him do all of the stupid stuff that he had to do. And boy, he had to do some really stupid stuff, uh, but I'm glad he did. And I'm glad he is back joining us today because Mike is a force in the world of TV. And more than that, he was a huge and important part of the office family. So please join me in welcoming the man who helped create so many of the iconic TV personalities we know and love, Mike Schur. Bubble and squeak, I love it. Bubble and squeak, I know. 
bubble and squeak, I cook it every morning Left over from the night before You and I, you may uh, have forgotten this, but you and I share an Emmy. We do? We do. Yes. For the webisodes? For the webisodes. Nice. <laughs> yes. Um, I don't think did I, you ever I get yours? I don't think I have an actual trophy for it, no. Well, I did. Um, <laughs> I do. Partly or <clears throat> all because we were invited to the ceremony and we accepted them oh. and it came home with me. Great. Yeah. So I have it. How's it look? It's great, actually. <laughs> it's really, no, it's Those very Those episodes were really fun. I, I have nothing but fond memories of that little crazy day that we spent running yes. around. You and Paul wrote mm-hmm. them. Yep. And it was longer than a day. It was, it I was think it was three days. Three days. Yeah. yeah. It was 10 episodes over three days. That was like before everyone did webisodes all the time and these little extra things. Like that was a really fun, like side project that we just sort of threw together they're really funny too. They are. Yeah. Yes. And and I think Randall's idea was we were able to do some things there that we we couldn't necessarily yes, do. That's right. Without the full camera crew. I think yes, it was um, the premise was it was like a holiday or something and because yeah. we didn't have everyone to be in the background. Right. Right. So yeah, that was right. It was we had a lot of backstory for why it was the way it was. But um the accounts significant because um I have an Emmy. You Congratulations. Don't have an actual Emmy, but you also won an Emmy. But we were never paid for it. Right. And it led to the writer's strike. <laughs> I watched a video of you yesterday. From when, from when we were on strike? When you were on strike. Yeah. You guys produced a video. Yeah. And you said a number of things in the video. Okay. I don't remember any of them, but. I saw it and I was like, oh my God. And then we were joking that you guys were coming up with bits as you were walking the picket line <laughs> and making the video kind of funny anyway. Um, but you said in part that you're watching this on the internet, a thing that pays us $0. Right. They were put on NBC.com and they sold ads and we won a daytime Emmy and didn't make any money. The writer strike was a really big deal. Yeah. I don't know. Just talk to me about that time and what you remember of Greg saying, no, we're not going to produce material for free. There, it was a very inspiring moment for me personally, because the, the central issue at the time, this is 2007, the central issue at the time was jurisdiction over the internet because Netflix hadn't started making original shows yet, but people felt like they were going in that direction and... NBC and every every network had a website and they were starting to like stream in primitive fashion the stream things on the uh, over the internet and suddenly it was like well if this is the future it didn't take a genius to think like well if this is the future like who cares whether you it's a television screen you hang on your wall or sit on a platform or whether it's your computer screen this is how people are consuming the work we do and we ought to get paid for that so so those webisodes were like a big part of that because I, I they were shot with union labor and no one got paid so that was like the uh, you know it wasn't like because of those webisodes that the writers could want on strike those webisodes were an example of the kind of thing that we were trying we were saying like if this is the way things are going we got to do something about this right so because the companies at the time were saying like you know what we don't have enough information let's just let's just let's just wait three years from now, we'll have more information and then we'll know what the future of this is. And we were like, no, you're, you're trying to, you're basically trying to grandfather in the internet as like a thing that you don't pay for. So um, we went on strike and it was a, a huge deal and it was very scary. It was like unclear what was going on. The communication wasn't sublime. And Greg was like, well, we're going to pick at our own show. And the reason we're going to pick at our own show is, is in a show of solidarity, is in a, say, a saying like, this is the thing we care about the most in the world. And we were in that little Chandler Studios out in the middle of Van Nuys. Like yes. in the, it was not on a major studio lot. And so we all showed up to work at six in the morning and we picketed our own show. And we were in the middle of season four. We were about to shoot the dinner party episode, one of the most famous episodes of the show of all time. The best read through I think we ever had. Do you remember that yes. read through? That Amazing. read through was was like, it was like a, a rock concert. 
And we'd finished that script. That script was ready to go. And that script could have been shot. The actors could have just executed the script and the directors weren't on strike and the crew wasn't on strike. But Steve Carell said, um, no, I'm not. This is The way we make this show is collaborative. And there's writers on the set and there's producers on the set and we change things and we work out new little moments and pitch new jokes. And I don't think I'm going to make the show without the writers. And he didn't show up. And so they shot a couple scenes from the episode that Michael Scott wasn't in. And then there was nothing else to do. And the show shut down. And that was such a heroic thing. He just stayed home. And he got calls from a lot of lawyers and a lot of studio executives from really, really powerful people saying, you have to do this. And he was like, no, don't. <laughs> Watch me. And Greg called him. And uh, he was home. And Greg was like, hey, I know that you've been had a lot of pressure coming at you. Are you OK? And he was like, yeah, I'm home. I'm playing with my kids. And was totally unfazed by it and had the attitude of like, this is a collaborative effort. This is a thing that we do together. We don't do this. This isn't without writers on the set. We don't make the same show. And I'm not going to make that show. Fire me, basically, was what he was saying. He called their bluff and the show shut down and writers were on strike for four months. And then they gave up jurisdiction of the Internet. And we went back to work and then we made the dinner party, which is amazing. Right. And it, it was truly the story of what he did spread like wildfire. Um, he did not have to do that. There were very few people who were in the position that he was in, obviously, as the star of a very popular, successful, gigantic, monolithic hit show. But still, he didn't have to do that. He could have, no one would have been mad at him. He right. wasn't on, the actors well, were right. And I was, you know, I remember having a huge, long conversation with my representation saying like, I, how can I walk past them how can I cross? How can I cross the line? And he said, that "They, you know, you have no choice. Yeah, you have to show up." And we knew that. And Ed, I remember Ed came out and was like, "Hey guys," and he hung out with us. And he, and I remember Ed going, "I'm really sorry, but I have." To. And we were like, "No, no, no, we get it. Your union is not on strike here. Like, you're not. We get it. It's fine. No one's bad at you. Like, no one had any animosity towards any of the actors because." You were in breach of contract if you didn't show up. Right. Steve was in breach of contract. He just said, "I don't care. Right. Fire me." And it's easier for the star of the show to do that right. than it is for anyone else. But um, the story spread like wildfire. And Mindy wrote a sign in Marker, um, uh, hung it on his trailer that said, like, Steve Carell, American Hero or something, and took a picture of it. And it spread very quickly around the town. And it was a real, like, wind uh, beneath the wings of the guild at the time. It's amazing. I mean, he, he you can't sort of overstate just what an amazing guy he is yeah and person to work with yeah i mean the person who's number one on the call sheet sets the tone of the show it's he or she just does it's people take their cues from that person that person kind of says like this is what's allowable behavior and this is what isn't allowable behavior in an in a number of different ways actively and passively and his presence at the top of the call sheet especially in that early going but his professionalism, his his dedication, he was never late a day in his life. Yeah. He knew all of his lines. And when he didn't, he improvised something that was funnier than what we had written. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. I don't know if you know this story, but there was a, um, even on successful shows, in fact, especially on successful shows, networks are always trying to slash budgets, right? Like right. It's when something's making money, it's not like, thank God we're making money. It's right. how do we make more money? <laughs> right. And there was a budget meeting with NBC and Greg, it must've been after season four because Greg and I were developing Parks and Rec and he asked me to come to say like, you're going to have to deal with this kind of crap and you should see what it's like. And there was a budgetary meeting and they were trying to slash the budget. And one of the things on the table was reducing the size of the cast because at that point how many series regulars were there 22 or something it yeah, was a lot by far the largest cast of any show on television right and greg was like i don't think that's a good idea the people invest in these characters everyone has a different favorite character and even a side character you know a character like you know jan or something who is not even a series regular like if you don't have her on the show in a certain number of episodes it doesn't feel like the same show. And they were like, well, we have to find the money somewhere, you know, and we're only making $780 million a year on this thing. And so we went back and we had a meeting with Steve and can't remember who was there. 
But Greg was like, okay, so here's what happened in the meeting and they want to cut the budget and this and that. And they threw out a number of options, one of which was reducing the cast. And Steve went, nope, no, 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 no. Like he said no like eight times in a row. And Greg was like, well, that was my reaction too. And Steve just went, no, it's not happening. That is not happening. We will, that is not going to happen. Like he just so completely shut it down as even, he was like, this is the show. These are the people on the show. This is how the show will be until the end of the show. That's it. That's it. And, and there were executives in the room and it was like, that ended the discussion. It was just over. Like there was no, it was a little bit like, sue me or yeah, fire right. me. It was like, I, in so many words, he was saying, I won't do the show if you do that. Like I will walk away. And it just shut it down. It shut it down forever. And no one ever, and it never it came up again. Never once. he's so amazing yeah he's just he's just such a mensch and 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 his like he wasn't angry he wasn't pounding his fist he was just saying no that's not gonna happen that's a non-starter move on what's next and uh that's the way he is he was it was just this quiet firm leadership that he exhibited all the time in every direction and he there was another time in 2005 2006 the big future of tv was product placement Right. That's where money was going to really be made, right? You were going to, Greg used to just say, like, the deal was you have to take some medicine when you watch TV, and the medicine is these ads, but then you get a yummy treat, and the treat is the show you like, right? right. And product placement was they were going to try to swirl the medicine into the, into into the, the, yummy, into the yummy treat. <laughs> and um, Ben was like a big proponent of it. And so was it, by the way, everyone else. Like, it was like, this is the future. Like, the future is we're going back, ironically, to like the 50s. And right. it was like the Lucky Strike comedy Boulders hour. Coffee. Yeah, exactly. This is delicious. So we have this big meeting, all hands on deck meeting. Um, we had done the Staples thing. Remember the Staples yes. thing where you had it, you, you bore the brunt of it because yeah. you had to play with that shredder and, and Staples sta- didn't send me a check. By <laughs> no, well, that was, I don't know. that was, that was partly, that was a big part of Greg's objection to it was like, if Brian wants to do a Staples ad, then he can go do a Staples ad and they can pay him money. But Staples is getting free Brian Baumgartner and free Rain Wilson and free whoever by like giving NBC money. And the show doesn't even really benefit. It's this kind of complicated calculus, right? But we had this big meeting where it, we were really being sold on product placement. And it was, it was getting away from us. It was being put to us in a way where it was like, you're going to say yes to this. We're going to keep telling you to do this until you say yes. Talk, 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 talk. And then Greg went, Steve, what do you think? <laughs> Which was a brilliant idea. <laughs> and Steve said, you know, I started in commercials. And commercials are great when you're a struggling actor and you need money and stuff. But what happens in commercials is you do a commercial for Coke and, you know, you do a take where you take a sip of Coke and you say, hmm, Coke tastes great. And then they go, okay, cut. Can you rotate the can a little more like this and hold it like this? Okay, good. Go again. And you go, hmm, Coke. I love Coke. Coke takes great. And they go, great. But can you raise it up to your lips an inch higher when you take the sip? And he goes, you just do that over and over and over again. And he said, the idea that anyone would have that kind of influence or control over our show and the way we make our show, which is loose and fun and collaborative and the operators are diving for different things and the actors get to try different things every time. I remember him saying the idea that Rain would say something funny and we wouldn't be able to use it because he wasn't holding the Coke can at the right angle. I don't think that's a good idea. And there was a pause and then it was like, okay, well, let's, we'll, we'll pick up this discussion, you know, uh, next week or something. (laughs) Never brought it up again. He just like, he was just the, he was the guardian of the show in that way. That I mean, is crazy. He, he and Greg were just, they had two different versions of the job, but the onset world of the show, Steve was the guardian protector of what we did and how it was done and who did it. And no one messed with them. It was just like, he was the final arbiter because he knew, he understood so implicitly what made it great. And he wasn't interested in letting anyone mess it up. (laughs) 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zen for a spin. Zen Nicotine Pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Ready to start your new journey? Get in gear with the Zen 10 Challenge. Enjoy Zen Nicotine Pouches for 10 days and discover a fresher way to experience nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime. Here's how to get started with the Zen 10 Challenge. Simply pick your strength and varieties online and check out. Once your Zen nicotine pouches arrive in the mail, enjoy pure nicotine satisfaction at your leisure. After your 10-day trial, let us know what you think. If Zen isn't for you, no hard feelings. It's that simple. Order online at Zen.com. That's Z-Y-N.com to start your new journey today with the Zen 10 Challenge. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. What to you makes the office the office or what does the office mean to you <laughs> oh god well those are those are two different questions what makes the office the office and what does the office mean to me what 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 does the office mean to you well uh, i mean it's where the office is where i learned how to write and I, I mean that in exactly as fundamental a way as I'm saying it. I didn't know how to write before I got the job, and now I do, and it's because of that show. Not just Greg's tutelage, but the, the mechanics of the stories that we told and the, the obstacles we had to overcome. The obstacles are good for comedy, and The Office had the basic obstacles of being a network show and having to cram a story into 22 minutes and all that stuff, which are great obstacles. Everyone should learn how to write on a network sitcom. But then it had all these other artificial obstacles that Greg added and the mockumentary style added and the number of characters that in the show. So Greg taught me how to actually write and then the show taught me how to write well, I think. Because any episode you did, you would look at it and go like, well, it's like a jigsaw puzzle. There are 20 people in the cast and there's, there's three stories and I have 21 minutes and 30 seconds and how do I put this all together? And you learn to be really non-precious with your own writing right like, you learn like these things are disposable they're not poems greg used to say the, the scripts aren't poems right they're architectural blueprints they're they're living documents and they change and it's okay for them to change 
Like, you can think this is great. There's only a couple times in my life where something didn't really play well, and I really, really fought for it, knowing that it wasn't going to play well. One of them was... (laughs) This is like, this is like my own, this is my own like indulgence, but I wrote yes. a, I wrote a, Dwight has a talking head where he says, um, it was always backstory that Dwight's aunt's maternal ancestors were maybe Nazis. Yes, right. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so we did a talking head where Dwight says, um, my maternal grandmother is like 102 and still puttering around down in Argentina. <laughs> You're right. And then he says, um, I tried to visit her once, but my visa was protested by the Shoah Foundation. <laughs> <laughs> and I just, I, it didn't really, it got like a moderate laugh because a lot of people probably didn't know what the Shoah Foundation was. But right. like, but I remember fighting really hard for that in the edit. Like Greg wanted to cut it, I think. And I was like, please, 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 please. But that's the exception that proves the rule. Mostly it was like, you watch, we watch these cuts together and you see what works and what doesn't work. And you just cut everything that doesn't work. Like, don't get precious. Was the Shoah Foundation in there? Yeah, that, that aired. It aired. Yes. Okay. Yes, that totally aired, oh, and it makes me laugh I every Argen- time. Argentine, I remember that. <laughs> I remember that part of it. No, it aired. It definitely oh. aired because I was basically like, I will never ask you for anything again for the rest of my life if you leave this in. Was there anything that got cut that you wish hadn't? I'm sure there was. I okay. don't remember offhand. So in the job, I think it was in the job. We wrote a, a, a talking head for Dwight that was. I think an entire page long. It was insane. It was like um, a version of a much shorter version of it aired, but there was a ver- it was about how one of his cousins, I think, or Moses' brother or something, was had one leg that was shorter than the other one, and when he ran to the bus, he would have to curve in like a long arc because the natural awkward gait of one leg being shorter than the other would <laughs> would cause him to run in like a in like a long right. curve. And it was nonsense. I mean, it was it went on for so long. <laughs> Paul and I were just in a crazy giggle fit, and we wrote like the like, endless talking head for Rain, and he loved it, and he like memorized the whole thing and like nailed it. And I was like, I wish this could air, but I, there's no way to justify it. It's, it's complete. It has nothing to do with the story at all, right. you know. Um, Greg, uh, Greg also introduced this concept of double duty. Have people talked about double no. duty? Greg's thing was like, look, we have such a limited time here. And he said bad sitcoms split their lines. Some are jokes and some are are like story. Because he said what happens is if you've separated the story and the jokes, you cut all the jokes to get the story and then you have nothing but stories. So he was like really hard on us of like, you have to make the story lines funny. They have to do double duty. And if they don't, then it's not good enough. And you got to do it again, do it again and do it again. That's and, so amazing. Yeah, and it, it's a, that was an amazing lesson to learn because it, it was like, yeah, you don't have time. You can't have talking heads that are just jokes, except for when they're about the Shoah Foundation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but they definitely were, so that's so funny. Yeah. Um, I, I want to get you out of here. I, you have talked so much about Greg and so poetically and articulately. Is there anything that you want to say about you leaving with Greg to start Parks and Rec? Yeah, it, so he, it was actually during the writer's strike. We were picketing um at paramount and he was like hey i want to talk to you and he basically said like the network wants me to do a new show and i want to do it with you which was like you know i remember i remember like what what does this feel like and i was like oh it feels like mozart told me he wants to uh design a piano with me or something like that's the the closest analog i could come was like this is the this is it like this is the moment that my life changes even more than it has already and so at the time, Ben wanted to do a spinoff of The Office for obvious reasons. But I was like, is that, w- is that what this is? And he was like, I don't know. I told Ben and the network that I would do another show with, with you. And if it turned out that the best idea, this is, it's classic Greg. It's like, if the best idea is to do a spinoff of the, from The Office, great. But if the best idea is something else, then we should do something else. Which is such a, again, like Greg also is a man of enormous integrity, creative integrity, and personal integrity, but the idea that he wouldn't just cash in, he could have cashed in so easily. He could have taken every department. He could have taken the accountants and spun them into his own show, and he could have taken Kelly and spun her into a show, and he could have taken Jan and spun that into a show. He could have, he could be the Dick Wolf of comedy if he wanted to, but he was like, I don't want to harm the integrity of the office proper. If there's a way to do it that doesn't do that, then great, but if not, then we'll do something else. And so... 
the strike ends and we go back and we make, I don't know, 15 or 16 episodes of the show that year. And then he and I started meeting. We went to um, Norm's Diner and we met for breakfast like three times a week. And I pitched him, I don't know, 275 ideas for TV shows. Right, right. <laughs> and, he, and, he pit, and he to me, like it wasn't a one-way street. Some of them were spinoffs. Some of them was like, well, maybe we could do something with the warehouse, you know, or maybe a different branch. I mean, he called the show. I don't know if, he's, if you've ever heard this story, but the reason the show is called The Office, colon, an American workplace is because he, thinking a thousand chess moves ahead, was like, if this works, you could do the school, an American workplace, and do a show about teachers. You mm. could do like, you know, the team, an American workplace about a minor league baseball team, whatever. Right. So some of them were spinoffs, some of them weren't. We ended up settling on what became Parks and Rec, which was basically like, the office is an investigation of the private sector, and we could do it the same thing with the public sector. And then we got really excited about like, we can invent Dunder Mifflin, but an entire town, like an entire ecosystem with media outlets and restaurants and city hall and local celebrities and all and the history and all that stuff and that so that was what set our brands on fire so i was around for the beginning of season five through weight loss right. and, and a couple other episodes but really mostly what i was doing was focusing on parks and rec from that time so i, I mean i i was very nervous because the office is the best job i had ever had in my life by a factor of a thousand but again i was like i don't you don't turn down the chance to develop a show with Greg Daniels. It'd be right. like telling Mozart, no thanks, I can find a better piano teacher, you know? Right. Um, so it was very scary, but it was also, I was like, yeah, this is right. This is the right move. And obviously I was correct. <laughs> right. Here's a, I don't know, this just occurred to me. If Greg had not said that to you, would you have left the office? No. God, no. No, I would have stayed. I mean, I don't know if I would have stayed the whole time, but I certainly would have stayed. I had no plans to leave. Like I was happily working there. I would have worked there for at least another, I think my contract was like two more years at that point. Right. So yeah, I mean, I wasn't looking to leave at all. Like I, I, there was no part of me that was itching. I mean, when he offered me that chance and I sort of did my evaluation of like, is there any reason not to do this? The only reason not to do it was how much I loved working on my current job and like, and the obvious risks involved with starting something new. Sure. There is a real scary thing in this business of like, if you've got a bird in the hand, man, right. take, like, leave it in your hand. Right. Like, what are you doing? But then I was like, well, if it blows up, I'll bet he'll hire me back. He'll hire me back? <laughs> right. Right. They'll find some junior writer to kick out of the way. Can I tell I'll you my it. favorite? Here's my favorite Greg story, uh, maybe ever. And it doesn't even really involve Greg. So we're trying to come up with the idea for Parks and Rec. And I got really excited about it. And I was like, oh, yeah, right. It's like, it's like a comedy West Wing. That's the, like, if the stakes of the West Wing are Russia and China are going to go to war in Kazakhstan, the stakes of this show are the boys' soccer team and the girls' soccer team both are trying to use the same soccer field, right? Right. And I just saw the whole thing. I saw, and Greg was the one who came up with the idea that there's like a pit that she's trying to fill in. And, and so we talked and talked and talked, had like a full day session where we'd like pitch and, and it's fi usually with ideas for episodes or, or anything like, you know, it's good when like you've, it feels like you accidentally hit a, an oil vein, you know, there's right. oil spurt, like ideas are just flying. <laughs> right, right. But because he's Greg, he didn't commit to it. He was like, okay, good. We've got that. Let's keep, let's keep pitching, try to come up with something else. And we talked about a family show, a mockumentary about a family. And we talked about, um, can't remember what else, but just day after day after day after day. And the whole time I was like, no, we have the idea. We know what it is. We know what it is. So Greg used to have people over to his house to watch episodes, right? right. We had a whole cast and all the writers and everybody would come to his house. And I saw his wife, Suzanne, and she was like, how's it going? And I was like, it's going great, you know? And she was like, do you know what the idea is yet? And I was like, no. And she was like, I, I kind of hope it's that government one. And I was like... I kind of couldn't mask my like anxiety. And I was like, yeah, yeah, me too. Me too. And she laughed and was like, let me tell you a story. And I said, okay. And she said, so early on in Greg's and my marriage, we were driving, I think they were driving from Chicago to New York. And she says, uh, it's 10 o'clock at night and I'm starving. And we're driving through like Shoalkill, Pennsylvania. And I said, honey, you got you to gotta stop. You got to pull over. I'm starving. I just, we, I need something to eat. And he was like, okay. So we pull off the highway and we see, I was like, there's a diner. Go to the diner. So we go to the diner. 
we walk in and the waitress comes over and Greg starts going, uh, what do you guys serve here? Like, what is everyone like? What's everyone's favorite dish here? Right. And she goes, I go, people really like the meatloaf. And and he goes, like, how, like, how do you prepare it? And, and she goes, meatloaf and whatever. And he's like, what else do people like? And Suzanne says to him, can we just sit down and eat? And he goes, no, uh, I don't want to know what kind of food they have, you know? <laughs> and so he asks a hundred more questions and she goes, honey, I'm starving. Let's just eat. And he goes, Suzanne, we may never be in Shulkill, Pennsylvania again. This might be the only time we're ever here. We have to like eat at the best place. We have to like learn everything about this place, like get the best dining experience in Shulkill, Pennsylvania. And she said, then we pulled out and we, 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 we left. We didn't sit down. We went, drove to another restaurant. We went in, he repeated the asked, uh, you know, more questions. Right. What do you serve here? What do people like? Whatever. Yeah. And then finally they found like the fourth place they went to. And maybe they even doubled back and ended up going back to the first <laughs> the one. First or place. That would be right. Um, but she tells me this story and I'm like staring at her mouth agape and she goes, that's the man I chose to marry and that's the man you've chosen to develop a TV show with. <laughs> 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 and it was like, I was like, you're right. You're totally right. And oh. like, the truth is, I'll bet they did have the best meatloaf in Shoalkill, Pennsylvania. Correct. And like, there's no better TV show that I would have created other than the one that we created together. And like, it's it's just who he is. Yeah. <laughs> Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zen for a spin. Zen nicotine pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Ready to start your new journey? Get in gear with the Zen 10 Challenge. Enjoy Zen nicotine pouches for 10 days and discover a fresher way to experience nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime. Here's how to get started with the Zen 10 Challenge. Simply pick your strength and varieties online and check out. Once your Zen nicotine pouches arrive in the mail, enjoy pure nicotine satisfaction at your leisure. After your 10-day trial, let us know what you think. If Zen isn't for you, no hard feelings. It's that simple. Order online at Zen.com. That's Z-Y-N.com to start your new journey today with the Zen 10 Challenge. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Well, let's, let's play that... Uh, Play number six. I thought it was weird when you picked us to make a documentary. 
But all in all, I think an ordinary paper company like Dunder Mifflin was a great subject for a documentary. There's a lot of beauty in ordinary things. Isn't that kind of the point? So it's really, to me, clear that's what Greg thought it was all about. Did Lee or anyone talk about truth and beauty? Has that phrase come up yet? No. Truth and beauty, there were a bunch of phrases that, that were like sort of the mantras early on. And Greg's, the number one most repeated one was truth and beauty. And he was like, everything that we make should be true, should be real, should feel like it's true. And it should be, the attempt should be to find the beauty in whatever you're doing. In the writing, in the acting, in the directing, in the set design, in the costumes, and everything. Truth and beauty, truth and beauty. And it just got deeply ingrained into us. He gave us an analogy for what the show was um, in the first season, which was imagine a completely paved parking lot in an office park. It's stretching out as far as you can see. And you're walking across it, and it's a hot day. And you're just in a corporate industrial wasteland. And then you look down and there's a crack in the asphalt and there's a single little dandelion growing through the crack. He's like, that's what the show is. It's finding that dandelion, right? Finding that little tiny glimmer of truth and beauty and happiness in an aggressively unbeautiful landscape. Greg used to say, I'm really, I sound like a, like a, like a cult member. Uh, I'm uh, talking about Greg as much as I am, but uh, it's impossible to talk about the show without right. talking about him. But truth and beauty was like, it didn't surprise me when that was the end of the show. I remember right. thinking like, yeah, he nailed, he, he like, at the very end of the day, he sort of laid out his view of what, why the show mattered for everyone through Pam, which is the right character to do it through, you know? Pam um, believes that Michael may have been whatever, the lead, but that Pam was truly the heart of the show. Who said that? Jenna. Jenna. Uh, I think she's probably right. Um, I've had this conversation with a bunch of people in the last, with the, with the weird resurgence of the show in the last couple of years. I've talked to Jen Salata and Paul and, and Lee and Mindy, I think, about like just when you rewatch it, what are the episodes that hit you the hardest? I think that the, maybe, maybe the best episode that we ever did was Pam's art show. The ending of that episode is no one comes to her art show because no one likes her at that right. moment in the show. And at the end of it, Michael shows up and one of the things that she drew was the office. And he is just like so blown away by it. And it's so meaningful that he's there for her because no one else showed up. Jim didn't show up. Nobody showed up. And, um, and she hugs him. And then there's that great joke that I think they added on the set where... Uh, she's like, what's in your pocket? And he goes, chunky. And she looks at him and he pulls it out and it's an actual chunky, <laughs> chunky candy bar. bar. Yeah. But that, the moment where he shows up, I think is the, is maybe the best moment that we ever did. Like him showing up at her art show and her reaction to it and her hugging him. Like, I think she's right. Like Pam, that is the, she is the person in those moments who makes Michael feel better when the bird dies and who like, He's kind of the gatekeeper of everybody's emotional status and stuff. And yeah, I know. Well, it's interesting that you bring that up because that, uh, coupled with that talking head, that's the last moment of the show. Is, right. Is Pam picking up that drawing and, and taking it with her. That's right. Yeah, I know. And it, it, it was very, that episode was very hard to break, I remember. I think Brent wrote it, Brent Forrester. As we did every episode, we rewrote it over and over and over and over again. And like that was the, that was like a late addition was like the, the way out of this. We were always looking for the, for the off ramp for Michael of like, how does he get out of his whatever miserable <laughs> circumstance he's, he's put himself in? And it was like, oh, the way out is he goes to Pam's art show. And then the idea that she drew the office and he takes it back and hangs it up. Like he's, it was like, that was the emotional solve. And, uh. It was like, oh, he should, that's where he, he should hang it right outside his office. It should be the thing that he sees every day before he goes to work, you know? Right. Is that, I mean, those little, those little tiny consistencies, that's what's so great about having a show that lasts for a long time is you get to do these things in season three or whatever that are there and that like end up mattering a whole lot in season. I, I mean, as a fan, 
I wrote the episode with the teapot and the note and everything. And then it was like in season nine when I was watching just as a fan. And I was like, oh my God, it's coming back. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Uh, and we had, I had um, John write the note himself. And I said, don't tell anyone what you're writing. Write whatever you want. Write whatever you think Jim would write. And I don't know what he wrote. I've no, I've never seen it. And I don't think he ever told anyone. I don't think Jen ever told anyone. Like, I, it's like, I think, I believe it's like a secret shared by the two of, essentially by the two of them. And maybe the props department. Yeah. Right. <laughs> if they steamed it open and looked at it. <laughs> wow. Um, what do you think its legacy is? I mean, its legacy is, uh, it's going to be enormous, I think. I mean, for a couple of reasons. One is it's really good. Two is the cast is incredible. And every time, every time someone discovers Jenna Fisher or John Krasinski or Rain Wilson or you or Angelo or anybody or Craig Robinson, they're going to go like, where did this person start? And then they're going to go back and watch the show. But also it just was on, it did, we did 200 episodes. Like there aren't many shows that do that anymore. That era is over. Like there, how many more shows are going to even do a hundred in this era that we're in of six episode, eight episode, 10 episode seasons, even shows that last 10 years do 80 episodes or something. Right. And I think the reason why so many people have discovered it and have like really sat with it is because it's one of the last shows, one of the most recent shows where you feel like you can watch a new episode every night. And, and you know, my son is 11 now. My son was, was born in season four of the show and he's now 11 and he just watched every single episode and every kid in his grade has watched every single episode. By the way, here's another thing Greg did. We used to try constantly to like put pop culture references in the show. And Greg was like, you know, no, no pop culture references. Um, this show needs to feel like it could, it's timeless. Like it could be happening at any moment in time from the seventies until like 2050. And I remember thinking at the time, like, all right, you're pretty high on yourself there, bud. Just think that this show is going right. to matter. And now look, it's 20 years later and it matters just as much. And my son doesn't know that that show isn't on the air. Netflix shows and ABC right. shows are the same. And it's crazy because now he can watch it and it doesn't feel dated because there's no references to, you know, things that were happening in 2005. Well, see, I think it's different than that. I respectfully slightly disagree. Interesting. Because when you watch it, which I recently did, it doesn't feel dated. Yeah. Well, see, what I think it was, was you guys in the writing were so specific. The characters were written so specifically. And so it almost functions now. Because you don't watch a documentary about the 70s and go, that feels dated, right? <laughs> it's just like, that's when it happened. Right. So now we're watching a documentary. Right. About this very specific this place time, at this moment, at this yeah. very specific moment, I, I I think maybe it's both things, right? It's right. like we didn't call attention to when it was happening, and also we were very specific about what was happening, and then that way, it just feels like it's a moment in time, a place in time, however you want to put it. So I like the in terms of its legacy. To get back to that, I keep getting off topic, but I think that people settle into the show and watch the show because it has this incredible specificity and it has this just deep, it feels like you're eating the richest dessert a tiny bit at a time. And that is a really lovely feeling to have. Like, you know, it's a different kind of hangout show from other successful hangout shows from Cheers or Friends or the, right. it's, a, it's a hangout show that, that feels like the emotional lives of the characters are completely wrought and thick and juicy and you can really follow people's psychologies and their lives as they grow over the course of nine years and i don't i think a show like that is very rare and i think that people will still be watching this show a very long time from now Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If 
you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. If you're a smoker or dipper looking to make a change, you really only need one reason to do it. But with Zen Nicotine Pouches, you can find many. Not only did Zen create the first ever nicotine pouch, we're still America's number one choice for smoke-free, spit-free nicotine satisfaction. It could be because Zen is made with only six simple ingredients, including naturally derived nicotine salt. Or maybe it's because Zen is the only nicotine pouch with a 10-day trial. For anyone worried Zen won't cut it like traditional tobacco, just ask one of the millions of people who have achieved lasting change. You have lots of options when it comes to nicotine satisfaction, but there's only one Zin. Find your Zin online or in a store near you at zincom slash find. That's ZYN.com slash find. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment... Oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. When was the decision made for writers to start acting in the show? From the before the before the pilot. I mean, Greg, coming from SNL, Greg wanted SNL is very um, the membrane between writers and actors is very thin, and all the actors write stuff, and a lot of the writers are in sketches and stuff, and almost everyone there is a writer performer, even if he or she is only on staff as a writer or something. And he liked that, and he wanted to get rid of the the false dichotomy of writers and actors. So he hired Mindy specifically because she was a performer. She was in a play called Matt and Ben that she had written in New York. He hired BJ because BJ was a stand-up and a writer. He And then, like, we made Paul, against his will, play Toby in the first season. Like, we forced it. He did not want to do it. He hated it. He hated acting. <laughs> But we forced him to do it because it was so funny to have him be the guy that Michael Scott hates more than anybody. Right. But it was that was always the design. I think he wanted everybody to to write and perform ideally, except for me because he <laughs> made me a freak. I most famously and most annoyingly to me played the character Moe's Shrewd. Oh my God! We never talked about Moe's. <laughs> Fuck! Oh my God! I, I, I assumed it was going to be your first question. I, I No, I have a whole section on it, but you were so great. Um, all right, well, then just very quickly. Sure. You were cast as Moe's. I was. And you're happy about that? No, I'm Are you uh, proud? I hated it. I hated every second of it. Why'd you hate it? Because I was wearing wool clothes and had a neck beard, and it was always really hot, and I, I didn't... The joke was I didn't talk, and... That's not a funny joke. <laughs> and it was always like I had to get up at 4.30 in the morning and drive to the middle of nowhere and wear wool clothes. Right. And it was, and then the joke became with the writers because they knew how much I hated it. They loved like, what if you're shirtless? What if you're on a seesaw? What if you're on a trampoline? What if you're running as fast as you can alongside a car like a dog? I was at Parks and Rec 
and they would call me and they'd go like, we need Moe's. And I was like, I have a job. <laughs> I have a life. I have young children. And they would just make me do it. They w- would compete with each other to see what was the most humiliating possible thing they could have me do. But that <laughs> that episode, Paul, so Paul wrote that episode where they, where Jim and, and Pam go to shoot farms. Right. And he wrote in the, in the script, it literally says, Moe's appears out of nowhere and runs along the side of the car like a dog. That's what it says. That's, I'm a human being. <laughs> right. And th- so we did that scene. It was 140 degrees. I was in wool clothes and, and old work boots that like didn't fit properly. And that sprint is probably 150 yards down that dirt road from the time I come out to the time I had to run all the way up into Shroot Farms. It, of course, cuts off long before I ever get there. No, of course. But they were like, you got it. Paul was directing, was like, you got to run all the way there. So I did over and over and over again. Probably 12 or 14 takes because Paul <laughs> delighted in it so much. And then later in that episode, I'm in Jurassic Park pajamas that don't fit me properly. <laughs> and then Greg pitched the thing where he was like, what if there's a loud noise and Pam goes to the window and looks at it and Moses in the outhouse <laughs> with his pants down and the door is flapping closed. I mean, it was like, it was aggressive. It was, a they knew, I never should have admit, if I had said like, I love doing this, they never would have put me in the show again. But because I hated it so much and was so vocal about hating it. Well, you have confirmed something. Moe's is a, is a fan favorite. You hear about people loving Moe's. Great. Okay. <laughs> Let me tell you something. What I have always said is, I think Moe's is a writer's room joke. Oh, and 100%. you have now yeah. confirmed without a doubt. Yes. That it was literally a writer's room joke Every, meant to torture meant you. To, meant specifically to make me miserable. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I was in a coffin. I was uh, <laughs> right. like hanging upside down somewhere. Right. Like there were a bunch of things that we did that were then just cut out of the show. Right. Was, I was riding a moped over a, uh, like uh, trying to jump a bunch of cars. I, they made me do that moped thing. I don't know how to drive a moped. I right. don't know how to drive a moped. No one taught me how to drive. They were like, just get on and just rev the thing. Because the point was, if I wipe out, it'll be really funny. It'll be really yeah. funny. Yeah, and then run across the roofs of these cars. Again, if you slip and fall and break your uh, pelvis, it'll be really funny. Like, right. there was the subtext was always, <laughs> the worse this goes, the funnier it'll be when it right. happens. Well, I this was after you left. I mean, sort of from the beginning, but then more and more, Kevin started having a lot of, of physical comedy type stuff. Sure. And there would be times where... I would go to the writer's room and say, I don't remember if you were ever there, but I would say, you guys are writing for Homer Simpson right now. <laughs> and a cartoon, you can force to do whatever you'd like him to do. He can do whatever, yeah. right? But I can't, I, my body doesn't work that way. Yeah, no one's does. Right. Like I, the most painful, I feel like I still have pain from it, is the most innocuous. You would never, ever, ever know. The office workers have to go to the warehouse and move boxes. Right. So they decide they're going to put. I remember that episode. Yeah. Oil down. Yes. So they could move boxes to get to the truck. They try a bunch of different easier. things. Yeah. And everyone thought the big guy falling is really funny. So I just kept falling. Right. Slipping. And which means on a concrete surface with oil, kneecap on concrete. Yeah. Man. Over and, and it's like, guys, I can't keep. You've got to like. Do, yeah, yeah. There has to be some other we, solution. Um, we had a uh, we had a similar thing on Parks and Rec where Nick Offerman's character, Ron Swanson, was a sort of, he was a little cartoonish in his abilities to do various things. And we wrote this joke where he wanted to get, he was eating a, he got lunch and he was eating this hamburger. And, and it, the joke was he wanted to get out of the lunch as quickly as possible. So in the script, he shoved the entire hamburger into his mouth and ate it in one bite. So they, Dean Holland was directing it and he was like, okay, action. And Nick did his best. But then Dean was like, you, you really need to eat the whole thing in one bite. And he was like, this is a, like a half pound hamburger. I can't, like I, maybe the character can do this, but a human can't. A and human so, cannot. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, exactly oh, right. All right. Yeah. Right. Sorry. Yeah. You're not your character. Right. right. Okay. Right. Right. <laughs> I, I almost wiped out super hard on that moped. Like, well, first of all. The joke was someone pulls up in the car. It was the garden party episode. Someone pulls up in the car and, I, and I'm the valet, Moses the valet, and I get in and they're like, just get in and tear off down this road, right? And, and the joke at the time is, why is Moses driving so fast and, and so insistent? And so I did, and like I tore off down the road and I'm not a stunt driver. I don't know. Right. Like, and suddenly I'm going 65 miles an hour on a dirt road and on a set and the back tire's fishtailed because it's a dirt road. Right. And I like... 
slow down and was like, oh, right. I'm not, this isn't a, no one's going to like save me if I crash this car. I'll <laughs> right, die. Because right. I, I also got in and didn't put my seatbelt on because the joke was you get in and take off. And I was like, oh my God, I just, I forgot for a second that I'm not fictional. I'm Mike Shore. I'm not fictional. I'm a human. <laughs> I'm a human that could <laughs> could suffer consequences. Yeah. Mine, very similar to that, was I think it was when there's the storyline of Dwight telling Holly that, that Kevin is slow. Right. And there was a scene, we did a m- number of different ways. This didn't end up in, but where... I'm driving. She's like, you're driving. You have a car. And I'm like, yeah, Yeah, I I do. I have a car. And at one point they were like, okay, so do that. But then get out of the car, but leave it running. Like leave it, (laughs) like leave it, like leave it. Leave it in gear. Leave it in gear. Yeah. So like as you step out, the car is going to move forward and then we'll have somebody else who can. Jump in and stop it? Yeah, I did what it a, a couple times. terrible like, idea. It's like <laughs> profound. Meanwhile, it's Veda's car, right? <laughs> like her real car. Uh, um, I, uh, uh, that joke that they did with Kevin in the later years where he didn't know the alphabet. Elemento. Um, Elemento. Paul pitched that in season two. And we were like, Paul, that's insane. Like you can't say that he doesn't know the, he's an accountant. He's a working accountant. Like he might not be the best accountant, right? He's an accountant. And it made Paul laugh so hard. And the second that Paul took over the show, that joke aired. And I was like, well, that's, (laughs) he got what he wanted six years later. He told me it was his favorite joke that he ever wrote. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Elemento. He, he told me and us that and, and tried to get it into the show in like season two or three or something. Right. And we were like, you know. There's crazy stuff like that. I mean, you know, again, this is a writer's room joke that no one would ever know. But what was Kevin's band going to be? Yeah. And having it be the police. This sounds like a you thing, actually. But the idea that I was a drummer, lead singer of the police. And with the police, the lyrics and the singing is off of the beat of the drums. Right. Because they have like stop rhythms. Yeah. You would have to be a musical savant to be able to play drums and sing. Well, it wasn't the police originally. No, it was Steve Miller Band. It was Steve Miller Band, and they were called the Midnight Tokers. Yes. My friend Scott Silveri was in a Steve Miller cover band in high school called the Midnight Tokers. Scott's a writer, and and I always thought that was the perfect amount of stupid for a cover. But like Midnight Tokers is like, oh, what a great. And so it was a Steve Miller Band, and then they didn't give us the rights to the music. Yes. And so we had to change it, and so... I think Mindy maybe pitched Scrantonicity, Mindy or Paul, but um, I remember being so bummed out that it couldn't be the Midnight Tokers just because I had really had my heart set on that. I sang. We did the whole video. Right. Was right. That's right. And that we had to we turn shot. the volume down because it was to like yes. Jet Airliner or whatever. I, whatever. I can't remember what it was, but yes. And maybe it was the Joker. I don't know. It was. Yeah, right. But uh, I'm, I'm happy. At the end of the day, I'm happy that it was Scrantonicity. Like, yes. That was a good solution to that. Stupid problem. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. You've given us so much time. Thank you so much, you got it, Mike. Man. So it was really fun. It. I like walking down memory lane. I, it's fun, yeah. right? Yeah. It's such a, I mean, it's just actually awesome to see. You. I know. It's been too long. I know. And congratulations on everything. And um, thank you so much. My pleasure. The things that could have been. Thank you, Mike, for coming back uh, and sharing so much of your story with us. It was so great to have you and just so great to talk The Office with you. And thank you all, as always, for listening week to week or day to day. Uh, Don't forget to come back next Tuesday. Same time, same place for another very special episode Because that day, next Tuesday, is the day that we, or at least I, have been waiting for. It will finally be here. The launch of our brand spanking new book. Next Tuesday, head to Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, wherever you get your books. Basically, go there, pre-order your very own copy of Welcome to Dunder Mifflin, The Ultimate Oral History of The Office. And if you do... 
you can be reading it one week from today. Grab one for yourself. Grab one for everyone that you know. Because when it comes to a gift, you shouldn't have a hard time getting it in. (laughs) That's what she said. Wait, no. You shouldn't have a hard time getting it in time for the holidays. Or, you know, any day. Because every day is a holiday when you're with me. Oh, okay. Have a great week, everyone. The Office Deep Dive is hosted and executive produced by me, Brian Baumgartner, alongside our executive producer, Lang Lee. Our senior producer is Tessa Kramer. Our producers are Liz Hayes and Diego Tapia. My main man in the booth is Alec Moore. Our theme song, Bubble and Squeak, performed by my great friend Creed Bratton. And the episode was mixed by Seth Olansky. If you're a smoker or dipper looking to make a change, you really only need one reason to do it. But with Zen Nicotine Pouches, you can find many. Zen is America's number one nicotine pouch. It's made with only six simple ingredients. Plus, Zen is the only nicotine pouch with a 10-day hassle-free trial. There are lots of options when it comes to nicotine satisfaction, but there's only one Zen. Find yours in online or in a store near you at zen.com find. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Hey, guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.